Oh shit. Oh yeah. Sing, Jamie. Sing. I'm not the singer. You're the singer. I I'm like I'm not Beyonce, I'm Kelly. <laughs> Kelly? Who's Kelly? Exactly. Oh. Isn't Ke- isn't Kelly like one of the Destiny's child people? You're asking the wrong person. Really? Yeah, I don't know. You didn't listen to Bootylicious when you were in high school? Yeah, but I didn't know who was singing what parts. Oh, dang, Tony. I would have thought you'd be up on that. No, sorry. Sorry to Kelly. <laughs> Tony, your hair is like slicked back today. Who, like, what happened? It's a little, yeah, it's a little. Well, this is like after a full day. It wasn't like this when I first started. It was less slicked back somehow? Yeah, it was more slicked over. <laughs> <laughs> and now you know your hair Did someone come in and nice. experiment with your hair and then you gave them permission because they're cool yeah that's basically what happened i had this really cool attendant and they were just like doing everything like i i, I was late finishing work so they got here at five and i worked till like 507 or something and then it came out oh no the horrors. I bet you they threatened to cancel dinner on you for that shit. No, because he was a cool attendant. So oh. he had unpacked everything from my weekend. He had like cleaned the bathroom. Dang. Like it felt like he did 20 minutes of work in seven minutes. Wow. And I didn't ask him to do any of it, which was amazing. He's the attendant Mary Poppins. Yeah, it was fantastic. Anyway, how are you? I haven't really talked to you much. Yeah. In in the intervening week, I, d- I don't know if we've spoken once or else I suppose we might have grunted at each other while we were playing video games. Right. Yeah, yeah. Well, I went away for the weekend and I got back yesterday and played like one game of games with you. Tony, I think you go away, like especially in pandemic times. And I'm not saying you're being irresponsible. I'm just saying like you're you're probably more mobile than... Like 98% of people, like you fucking go on cabin retreats like crazy. Yeah, I've got that thing in me that like once a month, if I'm still looking at my four walls, I just, I'm starting to like claw my own skin. Dang. So like before pandemic times, did you actually go on a number of trips or are you doing this more deliberately now because of, you know, the threat of COVID toward limiting our lives and annoying ways yeah i think that it's like more heightened now like because i was stuck at home for so long Mm -hmm. i realized that i actually don't like to be stuck at home and i also you know like we went on a cottage trip like a year ago and that was like the first time i'd done anything during the pandemic and so it felt amazing like i was so excited to just pack a bag and like get into another city and go to somewhere that wasn't my house and the group i went with like the foursome that went was just a a good group and we had a lot of fun and then i immediately was like oh we need to be doing this way more often so since that initial trip you've like had two more excursions i think at least right yeah it was awesome and this last one was I got the hookup from my brother who like works at a camp. Like your foster brother? Like, yeah, my foster parents' son. Okay. He works at this camp and he 
is like the basically like manager of the building side of things. Uh-huh. And so they asked him to make a new building uh, that was accessible. And so he made it and then he was like, can you come try it out and just make sure it works? Through the whole process of making it, we had talked a bunch about different ideas on ways to make it more accessible. And then we got there and basically got to stay there just because it was us testing out the accessibility of it. Mm-hmm. And it was phenomenal. So can you elaborate more on why it was phenomenal? Well, I mean, most partially because it was just phenomenal to be, I haven't been home. Like I haven't been back that way in over 10 years. What is back that way? Like back to my old stomping ground, you know, like where I came from. So, you, and, oh, so your parents actually came to visit and they came to visit because you were close to, to them. I just realized that. Yeah. So I had in, in like 10 years or more, my family always comes here to Ottawa to see me. Yeah. Because it was super inaccessible for me to go home. So every time your parents visit, you're always like way too close together with them. Pack like sardines. Yeah, they're basically just sitting on my couch for two weeks. Yeah, and then you feel like you need to get cable TV just to like engage them while you're trying to have a work day or live your life with them over your shoulder. Yeah, it's definitely tricky. Sometimes my friends will come over and will like bring them out into the city and do stuff, but it definitely feels like I'm running out of ways to keep busy or even keep them busy. And so this was just awesome because we were able to go there. Like I hadn't driven through Algonquin Park in years, like 10 or more years. So being able to drive through Algonquin Park and like look for moose and then... Excuse me? That's like the reason you go to Algonquin Park (laughs) is to find a moose. And then what do you do when you find the moose? You brag to all of your friends. You just like pretend you're Bullwinkle? Have you ever seen a moose in real life? Uh, Maybe. I I feel like I should have seen a moose by now, but I don't know if I... I don't think you have because you'd remember (laughs) and you'd have bragged about it to me. Isn't a moose just an oversized reindeer? Dude, I don't think you understand how big moose get. (laughs) It's like you can't really appreciate it until you see one. So, hold on. Are you implying that you have fond childhood memories of walking through the park and greeting the mooses? No, because it's so few and far between that I think I've seen one moose in my whole life. (laughs) And I remember that moment dearly. Dearly or moosely? (laughs) (laughs) Kill me. Well, should we end it there? (laughs) Don't don't give me that little eyebrow raise. (laughs) Yeah, so anyway, it was just awesome. Um, It was like this nice little cabin, cottage. I don't even know what you'd call it because it was super ultra modern, but still felt like a cottage in the woods. Had like four bedrooms. Each had its own fully accessible rolling bathroom. And then it had like a heated porch at the back uh, with a hammock in it that was accessible and a fireplace. Hammocks aren't even accessible to able-bodied people. What does that Amazing, mean? Amazing, right? So, yeah, we he put like a, a lift table under it. So then you could get on the hammock flat, then lower the table down, and then you're hanging in the hammock. 
It sounds like you need to hang out with this brother more. I know, I really do. Like, it seems like he's thought about you more than you've thought about him. <laughs> That's what was so exciting about this is because now there's a way for me to go see them. Because like, like they host a camping trip kind of thing. Not trip, but camping weekend in their backyard that I haven't been able to go to in like 10 years. And now if they host it at a time where this place is available, I'd be able to drive down there, stay in this place, and then go to this weekend. What is the idea behind this place? Like, is this supposed to be used by your family or as a B&B or? No, it's part of the camp that he works at. He works at like a, a camp that's for kids and they oh. want to be as inclusive as possible. I see that. So, so it's very realistic that you could, you know, have a, an annual excursion to this camp. Yeah. As, as long as there's no campers there, then it would be free and I could try it out. Are you open to including any uh, mutual disabled friends that you have who are Ukrainian potatoes? If I can think of any, then I'll definitely consider it. <laughs> I think we should end it there. <laughs> yeah, uh, that would be awesome. I've already said last time that you should come for one of our camping trips. Yeah, I, I like the idea. Yeah. It definitely like, you know, I, I I can understand that feeling at the beginning where you're like overwhelmed by all of the logistics involved in doing something like that. And I still get overwhelmed by that, but it's getting easier and easier every time because like like I said, the four of us that go, we get along really well. It's a good dynamic. I have lots of fun. Never really want the trip to end ever. And it gets easier and easier because more and more of the intricacies become second nature. Yeah. Like, I don't even have to tell people, like, when I need help or how I need help or whatever. It's just... And and so you're telling me this time you didn't have to shit in a box? So I did ask my brother to leave a popcorn bowl just in case, because I told him I'm starting to prefer that method. <laughs> um, I explained... Because like I said, the, the whole time he was building this place, we were talking about what we could do or what he could do to make it accessible. And uh -huh. so I obviously can learn from moments like popcorn pooping. Right. Orville Redden pooper? Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. Sorry. Orville Redden plopper. You want to end it there? <laughs> I, I actually had to apply lip balm because I knew you were going to make me laugh a lot this episode and I've been having issues with dry November air. And whenever I, that like every year I will split my lip from like dry, dry, dry air conditions. And this happened this year. And I always feel weirdly emasculated by that. By putting lip balm on? No, 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 not the lip balm, but, but of obtaining an injury just from being mildly dehydrated. <laughs> Yeah, I is it an Italian thing? Like I remember Jersey Shore; they always had to put on their lip balm. But I wear lip balm every single day of my life through the winter and through the summer. Well, I drink a ton of water. Like staying hydrated is really important to me because Same. I'm really grumpy. Like if I get dehydrated, yeah, and so I'm like always annoyed because I'm like 
anyway, this is a total non sequitur and it's way less interesting than what you were just talking about. I just you know, wanted to bitch about how... How your lips hurt? Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. You should definitely, I mean, plump up with those those uh, lip balms, you know? Li- lip balms. Yeah. Anyway, sorry, you were saying? Um, I don't remember, honestly. Well, okay, so I guess I was just trying to say that it, it like... Ideally, if I split my lip, I want it to be from like a pugilistic incident. Right. Like some, like I got into a fist fight with some motherfucker at a bar. So your toxic masculinity means fighting someone in a bar is more manly than laughing at your friends. I guess my toxic masculinity says that if I bleed, it should be for a cool reason. And and for some reason, because I, I'm a fan of boxing movies i some part of me still thinks that boxing is cool it's like a scar (laughs) yeah yeah it's like a scar exactly i don't know yeah i get it i i can relate to like i'll get a burn on my lip and people be like oh you have a cold sore and i'll be it's a burn like i really (laughs) want them to know yeah i don't know i would take it as the ultimate compliment to make you bleed from your lips from a joke i made Right, yeah, like if it split on air while I was laughing, you'd be honored. That, I would end it. I would end the podcast. Yeah, but I mean, but you have that weird thing too, which I don't actually think is toxic, but you want to make somebody laugh so hard. They end up in the hospital. They experience some kind of adversity as a result. Yeah, absolutely. Like when people tell me like, I was laughing so hard, <laughs> uh, someone on the bus turned to me and said, shut up. I like... <laughs> <laughs> I stop what I'm doing just to like feel how good I feel. Right. You, you bask in it for a moment. Yeah. Like I, I feel like that's as like egotistical as you could possibly get at like, no, it gets worse. Cause like when someone is drinking, like if you were drinking a cup of water and I found a line of jokes that would make you laugh, <laughs> I would go as far down that rabbit hole as I could to see if I could actually make you choke. One time when I first got my apartment in Ottawa, like back in summer 2013, my friends came to see me. The Franco, the elevator hero, came to see me. And we were all just like sitting around, like planning our day in the early morning. And I had a cup of coffee in my hands and I was in my manual chair and I was sort of marooned from like a table upon which to rest the coffee. And he made a joke and I started laughing. And then while I was laughing, I became afraid of spilling the coffee yeah. on my lap. And then I could not stop laughing because of the because of the vicious cycle of the precarious situation that I was in. And he caught me like in the middle of that realization. And and he just like kept like basically verbally tickling me. Yeah, it's so fun. <laughs> like, yeah. It's kind of fun to be on the other end of it too, though. Like even just this weekend, I remember we were just all having dinner sitting around the living area and um, I was eating noodles. I had just taken a bite and then my brother started to make me laugh like uncontrollably to the point where his wife was like, you need to stop talking. He's going to choke. Yeah. I, I was dying. And then eventually like, and then that became the joke. Right. 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 I'm almost going to choke to death. At this absurd thing you just said. 
Um, and then finally, like, the room settled down just to let me finish my bite. And then I was like, okay, I'm ready. And then he continued to choke. It was awesome. Those are the moments I live for. Yeah, exactly. What did I interrupt you from saying with my stupid lip story? I don't know. I was talking about the cottage. Like, I really do. Shout out to my brother for doing this because, like, I, I know he did it for his job, but the fact that he put so much extra work in to make sure it was actually accessible and he consulted me, which felt nice because, you know, it's one thing to be like, oh, my brother is in a wheelchair, so I get it. It's another thing to be like, oh, my brother's in a wheelchair. Let me ask him. This is actually an interesting thing. Um, have you ever been in a public space that was unusually accessible, like a, a local bar or yeah. mom and pop shop where they've gone through extraordinary lengths to make a bathroom that's amazing or an entrance that is particularly wide or something. And then you think to yourself, like, what is the story behind this? Mm-hmm. Like, it can't just be that they're overly conscientious of a particular kind of customer. It, they, they must honestly have a disabled person near and dear to them. It, I, yes, I have that. I had that thought a couple of weeks ago. I went for oysters and my favorite oyster place, I think I mentioned to you last time how accessible the bathroom is. And I used the bathroom again this time. And it, it's like a big room, perfectly laid out to be accessible. And it just made me wonder exactly that. Like, is it just because this is like a fancy kind of hipster restaurant where they're like trying to be inclusive? Or do they know personally some reason because it's like above and beyond right like it's not just they put a button on the door it's like the full it's like a bathroom that i would be proud to say i designed yeah it's the whole game the whole nine yards yeah my reaction to that is to feel like a kind of overwhelming gratitude like you want to go to the to the venue owner and like thank them or write them a letter or a positive social media post or something. Yeah. And I'm just wondering if like optimal healthy visibility is when you no longer have to feel gratitude for being accommodated. Well, shout out to the whale's bone in Ottawa. The whale's bone. And remember how we were talking a few episodes ago about that app that can help you track how accessible venues are in your area. Yeah, is Whalesbone rated four stars? Yeah, it's got an amazing rating. Um, and that app actually recently just did a sweep of Ottawa. So Ottawa actually has a plethora of information on what's accessible now. Ooh, plethora. Good good choice. Thank you. Um, it's sort of unfortunate that maybe not a whole lot of wheelies enjoy oysters, though. Why? How do you make that conclusion? Because most people statistically are averse to oysters, aren't they? Oysters is kind of like a novel food. I don't think so. I feel like this restaurant crushes it week after week. Okay, I'm not sorry. I didn't mean to insult the restaurant. I just, I had oysters for the first time. I think what you're trying to say is I don't like oysters. (laughs) And therefore, I represent every other disabled person. (laughs) That's that, That might, no, I do like oysters. You were just about to go on a whole thing about how 
you're on oysters and they were overrated and you made the conclusion <laughs> no. that disabled people don't like oysters. No, no, no. I had dinner with a friend recently, uh-huh. uh, with friends recently, and I had oysters for the first time. But it was only because, like, the the people I, I was with, they were, like, extremely insistent and also, like, very persuasive. And I'm not picky about any foods ever, but oysters are, like... I, I, I can't really figure them out. Like, they're on these shells that look quite pedantic. Pedantic? I don't know. Like, oysters look like garnish for a fish tank. They don't look like an edible. As if this is the place you're taking a stand right now. <laughs> the oyster shells were pedantic. Oysters are weird. They're weird. And I, I love never. sushi. Like, I'm not... I like seafood. I, I'm, 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 I'm game for, like, odd-looking food. It's just that... Oysters are like the last food I've been picky about. You know what I think it is? And I'll agree with you if you think it's this. (laughs) But that's the only time I'll agree with you. (laughs) Part of it is oysters are more just a vehicle for like the hot sauces and the horseradishes and the mignonettes and stuff that you put on them. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. But that's all food for you. All food for you is a cracker upon which to put a spicy or or savory thing. Yeah, but oysters are especially cool because they're like such a fun texture. Okay, I I was just about to make a joke that your favorite food is actually soda crackers. <laughs> Maybe like triscuits. <laughs> but I just meant like all you need is a surface upon which to put spicy things. Yeah, absolutely. You're like you're like a a slut for uh condiment surfaces oh yeah like i would sometimes i think about like i'd really like some hot sauce today what should i have for dinner and the answer is just what is a good thing to put hot sauce on Uh, right that's what i mean yeah you start from the you start backwards i I practice safe eating (laughs) use lots of condiments (laughs) all right so we're done with the takedown of oysters hey i don't want to say we (laughs) <laughs> I'm not involved in that. I stand by oysters. I had five or six and it was delicious. I'm, but I just, they're just weird. And I felt weird eating them. I thought I was going to make a, a, like a disabled blunder and like have as many oysters on my shirt as I put in my body. Oh yeah. They're not, they're not an accessible thing. Like when no. I eat oysters, I put a bib on in the restaurant and I'm just like sh- dumping them down my gullet. Like, I don't think they look cool. I don't yeah. know if it's a great date food. No, yeah, that's a good point. Good point. You got to be with somebody that you trust when yeah. you're when you go get oysters. But I don't honestly know what a good date food for me is. Like maybe a soup that I can just drink with a straw. Oh my goodness! Oh, I don't know. Oh, I feel like that straw would like dissolve in the heat of the hot soup. I don't think you know how straws work. <laughs> Nobody drinks coffee through a straw. You don't drink hot stuff through a straw. Yeah, they do. What is this? I don't know. I I do. Now I'm doing what you're doing. Where it's like I do it so everyone does it. Right. You don't drink coffee. Don't lie to me. I had soup with a straw today for dinner. Really? Well, okay. Was it a metal straw? No, it was plastic. What? Yeah. Gross. 
Why is metal better? Because it stays cold? Yeah, well, because it, yeah, and it won't like dissolve plastic particles into this. Thing. I'm not going to let you decide what the expert use of straws is. <laughs> Do you even have straws in your house? I fucking use straws. I'm a spastic. You don't. You don't think I use straws? I don't. I don't think I've ever seen you use a straw. Do I have to get my dad on here to tell you? Oh, Mr. Tony. My son uses straws. I got him one the other day. Okay, that, that's convincing. Mm-hmm. All right, thanks. Can you bring your mom in here? <laughs> no, my mom would totally eviscerate me in a loving and compa- compassionate way. <laughs> I'm not scared of her. <laughs> How's, how have you been? Did you go to any cottages? Yeah, how was your non-life? Uh, it was fine. Should I just tell the podcast what I actually did this weekend? What video games you played? I completed an open world video game from end to end, starting Thursday evening and finishing on Sunday night. Skyrim? No, are you kidding me? That would take a That's month. That's the only one I know. No, it was a Tomb Raider game. But it was one of the modern Tomb Raider games where she's not sexually objectified. Which one? It was called Rise of the Tomb Raider. And it was very, very good for a variety of reasons I would love to get into if you cared. It's not that I don't care, but it definitely sounds like you're ashamed to say that. <laughs> I'm super ashamed. I, I really like, dude, I watched a bunch of porn, but I was fine. No, 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 no. Come on now. It wasn't that. It feels like the same level of shame. It, it, it is pretty, it is, it is shameful. Yeah. Why I is should, it shameful? I don't know. Cause I feel like the it, developers of it think it's shameful for you to play it. No, I think it's a, a huge achievement. I think it's like the, the, I mean, I know that the, I, I mean, I know that thematically there are problems with the character archetype of the person who goes and steals valuable artifacts from ancient civilizations. I honestly don't know what you mean. I, I That's probably not even because we're, I'm not qualified to talk about that kind of stuff. So I probably should, shouldn't. I should probably just look at it from the point of view of a of a good video game or whatever. Yeah. Do I really want to get into why Tomb Raider is a good video game? I don't know if I really want to let you, to be honest. Yeah, I don't think you should let me. It's just a power. Like, video I'm glad are- you had a good time. Can we chalk it up to like that you had a good time, you enjoy video games, and not necessarily break down why it was a good game, and just you had fun, period? I guess so. I mean, that is like, again, I feel like I've been saying this a lot lately, but the difference between how you and I consume media is I'm just like, yeah, cool. I feel good. This is good. And you're like, yeah, but why do I like this? And should I like this? And what does it say about the people who like this? I do do that. Can I briefly say for like a minute why it's important for me to deconstruct my own relationship with art? I think it's, I I do want you to say it, but I want to preface it by saying that difference is awesome. And that's what makes our views of movies or whatever interesting, I think, is because we come at it from different angles. Um, back in my undergrad, like in 2009, I remember this this uh, interesting moment I had with a friend, a very good friend of mine who now lives in Thunder Bay a few blocks away from me. Uh, we had gone to see, like, we had this kind of tradition of watching uh, Disney films, like, t- together. 
like he knew I didn't like sports and he's like a huge soccer guy. So he'd always make fun of my sports illiteracy when we'd hang out with other guys or with like members of his team. Um, but we had this kind of tradition of whenever we would get together and cram for exams, we would unwind by watching uh, Pixar films. And so in 2009, um, Up came out and it was like pretty unanimously well received and it looked like an excellent movie. And we went we went to see it together. And I don't know if you've ever seen Up. Have you seen Up? Yeah. So the first 10 minutes of that movie are the portrait of a happy marriage and the death of a spouse. It's it, like literally as a short film, like taken purely in that introduction and nothing else. It's like one of the most brilliant 10 minutes of cinema ever, let alone animation or 3D animation or like, you know, Disney output. And it was, it's very moving. And so we were joking about how uncomfortable it was to be two dudes, like almost on the verge of tears, like 10 minutes into a movie. Uh, and so he made this remark where he's like, I, I don't understand how like an animated uh, uh, feature film could bring me closer to tears than my own grandmother's funeral or to some such tragic moment in real life. And that like, that's kind of true, you know, media or escapism or um, cinema or television. It's all just like a, a playground upon which we can exercise our emotions. Like we don't do this consciously, but I think it's an important exercise. And I think you can learn more about yourself and about the people you care about or about, you know, the lived experience of life by uh, understanding the art that we consume, you know, the things we create. Because that's ultimately, I guess, what we are supposed to do with our agency is make stuff and share it with people. Yeah, I connect with that a lot. I think part of it is also just that when you're watching a movie, you're kind of shutting everything else out. And yeah. so your emotions are kind you're kind of like a passenger to the emotions of the, the movie or whatever you're watching. Yeah. Whereas in real life, if your grandma dies, you're sad, but you still have so many other things that you have to do and that's going on in your life. And it's hard to just like shut everything else out and just think about your grandma and the life you had together or the life she had or whatever. Yeah. It's a little different because a movie kind of pulls you in and just like sits you down and says, here's what's happening. And in real life, there's that's just one thing in a tornado of life. Yeah. And like um, our escapism gives us permission to feel things, whereas right. life doesn't always. Yeah. But the um, the other thing is, is that like you and I can watch the same movie and we can have we can have differences of opinion and reception of that film. And like, we can also experience things uh, that far, far outside of the intent of the film even. Yeah. Um, but it's sort of reassuring that we can also have quite a similar journey. Well, it also depends like where you are when you watch it, uh -huh. what you're doing, how you're, how you're ready to perceive it. Like the same reason you can watch the same movie a few times and feel different things or catch different things or pull different things yeah. out of it. But it's like, we can, 
ride ultimately the same roller coaster. And it's this sort of uh, strange confirmation of shared experience. Yeah. You know, like if you're ever having like solipsistic anxiety that there is no, there is no existence outside of yourself or that you're alone. All you got to do is ride the same roller coaster with your friend and realize <laughs> we're all, we're all in it. That's a great point. But when you're riding the roller coaster, are you also thinking, wow, why am I feeling all these things in this roller coaster? <laughs> I mean, I, I am, but you're not, and that's okay. The whole time you're like, why is it that my head moves back when the roller coaster moves forward? <laughs> why is it such a thrill to plummet almost to my near death for a sustained number of seconds? And feel my stomach uh, in my throat. <laughs> Why is it that I feel so scared and my friend beside me doesn't feel as scared? Can I excise some of my demons with some other things that I've been watching briefly? You don't have to talk about it for long. Okay. Do you watch the TV show Succession? No. Okay, you don't. Okay. Because I can't figure out why the fuck I'm watching that show. I'm pretty sure it's not good. But it, by virtue of like prestige performances... I'm still sort of hoping that something good happens. Maybe our listeners can tell me why the fuck I'm watching Succession. I don't know. I, I'm, I'm again, like I'm not the person to ask because I will watch stuff sometimes just purely out of hate. Sometimes I watch stuff because it's just habit and I'm like, oh, this is the right thing to put on. Like what, what's an example? Like you watch Two and a Half Men because it's there? Like, I've been watching Seinfeld right now because it's on Netflix. Okay, okay. And when you watch Seinfeld, are you realizing the, the amount of Seinfeld that you've absorbed through cultural osmosis? Or are you discovering things you've never seen before? Um, I'm definitely discovering things. Like, I, I've never watched it all the way through. So it's also sort of fascinating to see that the show, like, knowing that this show was as big as it was. Mm-hmm. And then watching it, and you can sort of see why it was so good at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Does it feel timeless? Part of it, uh, yeah, maybe. I don't know. I really do hate laugh tracks, even though I know it's a studio audience. Mm-hmm. It still feels the same. But part of it is also just, it feels like I'm more in on some jokes now. You know what I mean? Oh, like you understand. Yeah, it gives some context to all these pop culture references you've heard throughout your life. Yeah. Like I've never watched friends and I feel like it's like a gap in my life that I either will just forever be a gap or I should go back and try to watch it. I've heard of people refer to friends as the like uh, lobotomized Seinfeld. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree. Like it's, it's Seinfeld with all the edges shaved off where the right. characters actually grow and evolve potentially, or, you know, like they have like their well-intended people. I, one reason I don't mind the laugh track on Seinfeld is because I think the show would be funny without it. So I, I don't think that it actually benefits from that bit, that slight bit of manipulation. Whereas friends is sort of profoundly unfunny where if you edit the laugh track out, it feels almost like an experimental comedy. Was Friends in front of a studio audience? I don't know. I think it was, yeah. Oh, really? It's definitely a multi-camera comedy. Yeah, like Seinfeld definitely is a funny show. And the Mm -hmm. premises are funny. And I love Larry David. And he comes through so much in that show. 
Yeah, it, that's another thing is like next to curb your enthusiasm. I sort of think of Seinfeld as obsolete. How is curb your enthusiasm obsolete? No, no, no. Sorry. I mean, curb your enthusiasm is much more relevant than Seinfeld. And Seinfeld is more of it, uh, is yeah. more Larry David with constraints. And so I just figure, like, why would I watch Seinfeld when I could just go directly to the source? Well, sometimes Seinfeld is like too much. Or sorry, sometimes Curb Your Enthusiasm is too much. It like, can be. I love cringy humor, but sometimes it's like, okay, Larry wouldn't do this. And if he was, maybe I don't support him anymore. <laughs> like, or even yeah. just, it, it's some, yeah, sometimes I just feel uncomfortable. Whereas with Seinfeld, it's not just George being awkward and uncomfortable the whole time. Mm. Like you have Kramer to be crazy and Elaine to be Elaine and Jerry to kind of ground. It's just like there's... You get some relief. Right. And and balance. Mm -hmm. That is a good point. With Curb, it's like, it's almost exhausting. Yeah. Like if he was a, if he was a real person, and I think he's probably... I think Larry David is probably not far off from what he is in that show. He mustn't be because the the improv element of that show kind of dictates that a majority of the humor be personality driven. Yeah. And if you see him, if you watch him on like, you know, Kimmel or one of those late night shows, yeah, you can tell that there's a different Larry between rehearsed bits and improv bits. Mm. And he definitely thrives better when he's just off the cuff being ridiculous and like for comedy hating everything. It would be funny to like be disappointed by finding out that Larry is in fact quite patient and compassionate and has minimal neuroses. I think I would prefer that. I I, I would too, but like if, if we found out in real life that his comic persona differed greatly from who he was as an individual, that seems to disappoint people nowadays. I like that because to me that's like, oh, you can fully appreciate this whole other... Because Larry, it's like, okay, maybe you're just a dick sometimes. Mm -hmm. If he wasn't like that, I'd be like, okay, you just know how to write a funny jerk. Mm, so you you think that, uh, or you often feel guilty for enjoying Larry David? Is that what you're saying? No, maybe a little, but it also just like, I think if I was going to hang out with him, <laughs> I would be like, oh, this is you, okay. Oh, yeah, you'd be like, all right, Larry, it's time to go. Yeah. At some point, you'd be like, uh, what's her name, Susie? Fuck you, Larry. <laughs> That's not funny. Get out of my house. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I'd probably slip flop between Susie and Jeff. <laughs> well, this is a fun discussion. Uh, should we discuss what we watched today? I guess we should discuss what we watched today. Do you want me to introduce it? Um, no, I kind of want to, actually. Okay. So we had... Another listener submitted request or suggestion for a short film called Gregory Go Boom. And we honestly decided to watch it today because it was short. That was kind of the criteria. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because we were recording a day later than usual because I was away and we didn't have time to separate watching and recording. We watched right before this. So we haven't fully had time to collect our thoughts, but we also 
didn't need a whole lot of time because, again, it was 17 minutes. This short film, all I knew about it was Michael Sarah plays a paraplegic. And is he a paraplegic? Right. I only know that or say that because it says that in the description, a paraplegic. Mm -hmm. If you watch it, it doesn't necessarily mean it's a paraplegic. It doesn't. It just sort of looks like a, a milk toast disability man. Like what? Milk toast disability man. Milk toast? Yeah. I mean, like, you know, isn't that a cracker? It's like a really bland cracker. Melba toast? Milk, milk, milk toast. Are you thinking of milk bowl? <laughs> what the fuck? I know this is a thing. Melba toast. Okay, all right. All right. Uh, I fucked it up. I don't know. Or I've never heard of milk toast before. No. I Now I have to Google this. It's like a brown cracker. Yeah, Melba toast. <laughs> Shit. I think you're thinking of Melba toast. Okay, okay. I have a problem with getting colloquialisms incorrect. Like for years, I thought that making ends meet was some kind of weird sandwich meat, like ends meat. <laughs> like the links between sausages. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I used to think that when you put some cheese on bread and fry it, you were having girl cheese. Girl cheese. Yeah. And my mom would be like, you want to have girl cheese? And I was like, no, I want boy cheese. I'm a boy. And then she forced you to eat the girl cheese anyway? Yeah. And then my estrogen shot through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> so when we, were, when we decided to watch this, I was kind of excited because I've made the comparison to you that I thought you looked like Michael Sarah, And I thought that this movie would prove that to me. And, you know, part of me doesn't necessarily fully agree with myself that you look like Michael Sarah. I think maybe I have the aura of him. Well, I wanted to hold it. I wanted to hold my ground on it because you've called me Steve Buscemi so many times. I'm so sorry. You're not sorry. <laughs> You're only sorry because people have called you out since. I should have said you look like Nucky Tom. It doesn't matter what you should have said. Whatever. Your bestie fucking agrees with me. What? No, sorry. Jeff agrees with me that, that Nucky Thompson is handsome, not that you look like him. Yeah, there's a big difference. <laughs> and I don't even think he said that he was handsome. He just said he's like a gangster or whatever. Like he's a cool guy. He's fucking dapper. Whatever. You don't need me to tell you that you're handsome. So I was really excited to see a movie that confirmed the likeness between you and Michael Sarah. Uh-huh. But after this movie... I almost, and I say almost, I almost <laughs> want to apologize. Oh, well, an almost apology, I mean, feels good. Yeah. Yeah, I'm almost sorry. Gregory, go boom. What's that about? got to be honest, I don't really know. Let me tell you what I think it's about. All right. I think it's about a guy, sort of mystery disabled guy. He definitely sits in a wheelchair and his mom is leaving on a golf cart. Maybe not his mom, his sister. Yeah, his sister. And she's like, hey, I'm going to be home later. And he's like, that's okay. I'm leaving the nest. Yeah. I'm going to go discover myself. Uh-huh. Then he goes out with his brother. No. Who? Oh, yeah, the brother, yeah. 
and they're just like shooting blanks. And his brother is played by, isn't it the guy, like the really awful guy from Fleabag? It is the awful guy from Fleabag. Good catch. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge's sister's boyfriend. Yeah. The, the asshole. Yeah, he also has bit roles on Broad City and a variety of good Comedy Central. Yeah, he's a good comedic actor. This movie had good actors in it. It did, yeah. The woman who plays his sister was familiar to me. I think she's been in sketch comedies like Inside Amy Schumer and uh, I Think You Should Leave. Didn't she play a bit role in Barry? Oh. Uh, I don't remember where I know her from. Very familiar, but not a lead actress. She's also in I Love You, Man. Right. You know. It's kind of like, it's kind of funny that there's this like, like almanac or black book of comedians that just show up and everything funny. Yeah. So anyway, Michael Sarah's character is like, I'm going to leave the nest. Bye, everyone. <laughs> and then he goes on some dates. He goes to a community center, which it looks like he frequents often because he can access the free food and drinks. Like, he had, like, it's literally just because it's accessible. So, I feel like we should talk about what the movie wanted to be and then what it felt like. Because to me, there was a big separation there. Okay. That sounds like an exercise that I would do by myself. Okay. No, no, no. I'm just teasing you. Um, well, because it, I don't know, part of me wanted to respect the movie because I always, again, I, I play softball anytime there's really representation obviously there isn't really representation here but i mean like representation of wheelies at the very least yeah but every time it took a turn it went in the opposite direction i wanted it to it felt like he was trying to play he being michael sarah was trying to play like this sort of against all odds he was gonna break free and you know make a new path for himself and then every time you think he's going to catch a break, it's the opposite of that. Yeah. But I never felt empathy for what he was going through. Right. He felt like a dick, and it felt like it wasn't funny, but it also didn't feel earned. Like, I didn't understand why this character would be such an asshole besides maybe being uns or unsocialized. I, I kind of agree with you. There was a number of um, different movies or tv shows i was thinking about while we were watching this it's like when you're having sex with someone and you're just thinking about a bunch of other people <laughs> yeah because you're just having a terrible experience oh yeah yeah that's actually a pretty apt analogy um the experience of watching this short film is very very uncomfortable and i think that is part of the creative intent i think what kind of happened here was the writer director at some point in their lives came across a disabled person and felt like their life must have been really and truly awful and spent some time imagining what their lives were outside of the particular context in which the writer director saw the disabled person probably just like anecdotally out in public and they're like oh that 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 person really wears their suffering on their sleeve and i and i should really try to write a short film about this random pedestrian like as an exercise in empathy that's what it felt like. And it, it felt like um, it knows that like media about disabled people is <clears throat> traditionally very sentimental. 
And so it was like, I'm going to create something very deeply hard to watch about a disabled person in which there is zero sentimentality. Yeah. And I'm also going to um, deliberately make this disabled person actively unlikable, but I'm going to make sure that their unlikableness does not seem to be their fault, or it is a product of neglect or of growing up in a lackluster care network. If we end it there, I yeah. think they did that pretty well. Or maybe not pretty well, but like, okay. The filming locations, um, it almost felt like a town got forgotten. And so there was no chance for this person to sort of make it out. Yeah. The cinematography, I felt, again, I have no qualifications to comment, but the shots were intriguing sometimes. Yep. It wasn't a poorly produced short, that's for sure. No, and the music, like the soundtrack, was interesting. It had like sort of dark, heavy, but also thought-provoking elements. It was it was an interesting soundtrack. The score was definitely the most avant-garde or like uh, experimental aspect of it. There's there there was like a a choir in the background, mm-hmm. sort of constantly humming. And the intent, I think, was to provoke a constant uh, feature-length feeling of anxiety, which I definitely felt. Yeah, it was uncomfortable. Yeah, and that was by design. And also, I think parts of that discomfort were unintentional. Yeah, I I agree. I think that part of the discomfort was because you and I are too close to it. So some of the lines, there was one line, um, I forget what he said. It was like, they were having sex, they were about to have sex, and he asked her to do something. I don't even remember what the request was, but it was like the way he said it was so empty. Yeah, he asked her to basically stimulate him because he couldn't get hard. Right. That's what it was. And just the way in which he went about it was completely passionless, unromantic. It was like stiff and... It, it was like he was frightened of what was happening, but felt obligated to go through it. Yeah. And so that part made me wonder where the inspiration came from. Like, were they just projecting what they thought disability and sex looked like? Or was that someone's experience that they talked to? But I, I just feel like the disability elements to me were frustrating, to say the least. Oh, I mean, that's an understatement. It's almost hard to quantify why it was like we should state at the outset that this was a very unpleasant experience. Yeah, luckily it was only 17 minutes. Yeah, this I wouldn't recommend this to anyone. No. I do not believe it was made out of malice. I think the I think the writer director was trying to push boundaries while empathizing with a caricature of disability that was just incredibly ill-conceived. Yeah, I, I didn't even want to watch it. And I am not scared of my the, the implications of watching it. Yeah. But to an able-bodied viewer, I wouldn't want them to watch it because I wouldn't want them to get the wrong ideas. Even reading some of the reviews, and I'd like to read at least one of them yeah. on IMDb, you can tell that people watch this coming from, and no fault to theirs, but they come from a place of, you know, ignorance or naivete, uh-huh. not really understanding or fully appreciating 
the world of disability and then packing a bunch of meaning or emotion or connotation onto the character, like Michael Sarah's character. Yep. Just like sort of this element of fragility that disabled people must face, or at least Michael Sarah Michael Sarah's character faced. And it's hard to watch that and then go on hoping that someone watches that and goes, yeah, but then nobody like that. Maybe let's read the review so we get some context for what you're talking about. Here's one review. Oh man, this is dark. I saw the ending coming though, as that's probably what I'd do in that situation. It's terribly tragic that there are people who live like this and experience these struggles. It makes me so sad. Like I'm bummed out after watching this. That being said, I love this sort of experimental soundtrack. (laughs) So again, they watch this movie and they go, yeah, that makes sense. I'd kill myself if I was disabled. Spoiler alert, he kills himself. He does, yeah. The the sexual encounter with the woman sort of peters out because she uh, is grossed out by the um, unsanitary elements of his leg bag. And so the intimacy just sort of dies out of the situation. They fall asleep together. But again, like, he's never an empathetic character in this one. Like, when he's emptying out his leg bag, he's just haphazardly spraying it all over the bathroom and then uses his bare hand to wipe it off and then wipe that on his shirt. I think the idea is that, like, I think some able-bodied people have the idea that the wheelchair itself is the object of empathy. And so you don't actually have to create a compassionate occupant of the chair so it's like sure michael sarah is ugly but that's just a byproduct of his circumstance so whatever i don't know that doesn't doesn't really make me feel any better no it doesn't and i like i i don't think we can feel good relative to this thing no i hated it do not watch i feel like that's instead of calling this episode gregory go boom we should just call it like skip this episode (laughs) the other thing is um the title of this uh, is offensive. Gregory Go Boom. Why is it called that? Is it is it some allusion to Gregory's intelligence? I feel like it is. You know what I honestly thought this was going to happen? I thought what was going to happen is instead of what happened, which was ridiculous, he sets himself on fire. I yeah. thought what was going to happen was he would just sort of break mentally. Like some flip would some switch would flip and he would go on some bizarre rampage that might have had some satisfying elements in it where he like goes and flips off everyone who's ever been mean to him or something. I don't even know. Mm-hmm. But instead, the only switch that flipped was he set himself on fire. Mm-hmm. He, I thought what might happen is he would figure out some way to commandeer his chair to fight back against the abusive boyfriend of the woman who is open to sleeping with him. Like, I thought he would just go berserk on this guy. But even that, like, she, it felt like she would only sleep with him to, like, get back at his, her ex or something. Like, it, it, not, nothing about this movie had, in my opinion, any emotional depth. No. It, it tried to suggest emotional depth by piggybacking off of the supposed... Um, tragedy of its lead character 
what what is most disappointing about it is that there do appear to be talented people at the helm of this. Yeah. If this is how otherwise intelligent creators sort of regard disability, then we're in trouble. Yeah. You know, because I personally think that this short is substantially more offensive than that Johnny Knoxville movie that we watched in which he impersonates a disabled man to participate in the Paralympics. Oh, for sure it's more offensive. Because that was at least self-aware and trying to be funny. And this movie was almost like trying to be smart in a bunch of stupid ways. I think what it was doing was deliberately subverting our expectations of traditional disabled narratives. So, like, this movie because was? I, I think this short was trying to do that because it sort of took all of the fears that we have about how we are received, you know, that um, that people don't see us as intelligent enough or that we don't like Michael Sarek's character doesn't have a job. He has his his family members active, actively view him as a burden. You know, he doesn't have control over his personal finances the government check that he gets goes directly to his sister you know his 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 able-bodied siblings don't love him um he doesn't have an education like he just leads an empty life essentially and he spends his time trying to make a connection with a potential suitor and so like that confirms a lot of our a lot of my personal anxieties about how disability is received by other people. Yeah. So I think this this movie took all of those sort of assumptions of the disabled experience and then like deliberately confirmed them in order to be in order to be confrontational or or hard to watch. Cuz the the experience of watching this short was much similar to something like Uncut Gems, which I actually believe is an excellent film for a variety of reasons. Yeah, Uncut Gems or um, um, Punch Drunk Love or I, I guess the TV show Made. I was thinking about Made because I've been thinking about Made since I've, I watched it several weeks ago. But it also features a downtrodden main character stuck in a, an abusive, unsustainable living situation who like gets sort of shut down at every turn. But she's a, a good person. That's like a huge fundamental difference between this and that. And there's also many aspects of her life as she tries to um, recover from her circumstances that are incredibly uplifting. And the experience of watching that TV show is actually quite cathartic, even though she is encountering so much hardship along the way. Like it is just perfectly paced and has wonderful characters and it, it presents a solution that feels like it would apply in the real world. You know, like it's, there's so much reality in it. That well, I also like that made doesn't reward you in ways where you want to be rewarded always. It's, it's, it's like not it an easy you, reward. No. And it, it yeah. makes you realize the struggle that she's going through is not made for TV. Cause the, yeah. anytime you think, Oh, this is, going to be the payoff that we've been waiting for it doesn't happen yeah but it but it it also doesn't feel like it's um intentionally draining you or or trying to be tragic and heavy no it feels like this is actually someone's life 
Yeah, it's the rhythm of a real person's life. Whereas Gregory Boom feels like someone, like you said, saw a disabled person, went up to them at the oyster place and said, what do you have? <laughs> yeah. And they said, I'm fine. And they're like, I don't buy it. I'm going to make a movie about you. Yeah, I'm going to imagine what your life is like, and it's going to have no hope or like any redeemable elements whatsoever. Yeah. And then people are going to watch it and go, wow, that was dark. But yeah, that's that's the conclusion I would have drawn as well. If I can't get laid on my third try, I'm going to light myself on fire. Yeah, self-immolate and explode. Michael Sarah happens to be the least likable disabled person I've ever met in a fictional context. Well, the thing is, it almost feels like he was on a mission to make himself unlikable. For sure. Like all of the elements, like like when he's dumping his pee from his pee bag yeah. into the toilet, the way he's doing it, it doesn't feel like, oh, he's just spastic and can't miss. Uh-huh. It feels like he's almost intentionally spraying it everywhere because he just doesn't care. Uh-huh. And if that's the implication, that's just terrible for disabled people. And then when he spills it on the toilet, he also decides to wipe it with his hand, but then he washes his hand after, after he's already wiped it on his shirt. Like the choices he makes never feel empathetic. I'm never on his side. No. And so when he kills himself, I'm like, okay, bye. Yeah, like, oh, I don't have to think about you anymore. Thank God. Yeah, oh, this movie's over. Good. Even the the dating moments, like he, he dates three women in, in this 17-minute video. And all of those dates are horrifically uncomfortable. Yeah. But not because, oh, we've been there before. Mm-hmm. But because nobody would do that. Nobody talks like that. I sort of wonder if the movie's trying to say that like we shouldn't regard disability with sentiment. Like that's the point it's trying to make. Maybe. I feel like you're being way too kind with that judgment. Yeah, I still keep thinking about Punch Drunk Love, though. Have you ever seen that movie? No. Do you want me to get into it? No. Punch Drunk Love is about Adam Sandler. It's about the id of Adam Sandler. He's kind of a quirky, under-socialized salesman who recently bought himself a dapper new blue suit. And he's uh, figured out how to game... Uh, a sweepstakes program, like a lottery system to make a maximum amount of money by purchasing like a bulk supply of pudding. And that totally doesn't make any sense. I know that, but that's just to establish that it is also an art house, quirky little movie made by Paul Thomas Anderson, who, you know, is the current heavy hitting auteur of Western cinema right now. Um, but anyway, Punch Drunk Love uh, came out in 2002. It's the first role of Adam Sandler's where he was uh, not a comedian. Like it wasn't, it's a, it's a serious role. And uh, as, as this like quirky salesman, he has strange uh, antisocial behavior issues. Uh, he has an explosive temper um, and he has sisters who are constantly suffocating him they are not happy with where he is in life and they don't understand why he behaves the way he does. 
So they're constantly calling his single bedroom apartment and trying to pressure him to go on dates with people they're setting him up with or trying to get him to re reevaluate his career choices or blah, blah, blah. And there's just this sense that he's about to fly off the handle. And then he meets a coworker of one of his sisters played by uh, Emily Watson, who sort of sees a sweetness in him and understands that he's gone much of his life without a requisite kind of love for better or worse. And that seems to be the root of his behavioral problems. And so the movie is about their courtship and about him sort of finding his self-confidence and sticking up for himself and growing as a person. And in that sense, it's actually quite an interesting uh, subversive romantic comedy, again, about a, a leading man who had a failure to launch, but his failure is also not uh, portrayed as, you know, happy-go-lucky, like, you know, thinking Matthew McConaughey or uh, Mark Wahlberg. I don't know. It's it's not a traditional rom-com because the leading man is objectively dysfunctional and his anger is real. And there are some very interesting scenes of him like basically flipping the fuck out. And the movie is sort of kind of trying to understand why people like Adam Sandler and his comic energy. And it's sort of using that energy for a different purpose. And so critics at the time fell in love with it. And then they started berating Sandler for not playing roles of a similar caliber, you know, for the next 15 years of his career. But Gregory go boom, feels like a response to punch drunk love, but with a disabled character and Michael. And I think it thinks itself to be higher brow because Michael Sarah is so under socialized that the traditional idea that love can redeem him does not apply. You know, like he's too inept to even be able to receive the affection that's coming at him from this woman. Like, and he just doesn't grow. And instead he decides to kill himself because he got rejected. And so I think that's, I think that's what the movie is trying to be, but it fucking sucks. It's a terrible portrait of a wheelie. And it, it just serves to basically reaffirm to able-bodied people that their impression of the impossibleness of the disabled circumstance is valid. So this movie, this short in particular, can go fuck itself and probably punch drunk love (laughs) uh, doesn't hold up either. I wanted to set this movie on fire. Yeah. Short film go boom. I don't know. To be honest, I feel like we've talked about it for longer than the movie. We have. I'm kind of over it. Mm-hmm. Um, would you, uh, would you uh, give up your disability if you had to watch this movie twice a day? That's so funny you said that. <laughs> because I was going to say, would you give up your disability if this is the only movie you could ever watch again? <laughs> Uh, me? No. The, I'm pretty confident the answer is no. Wheel Breakers. Haven't heard that sound in a while. <laughs> yeah, a couple months now. I have a couple listener submitted ones from our fans. Let's do it. One of them, I honestly can't remember if we've done this before. So tell me if we have. Would you give up your disability and be fully able-bodied, have the body of your dreams, have 
the physical motion that you can only dream about and uh-huh. the control and the command over your body that one only sees in movies in exchange for every time you see a disabled person as your new able-bodied self, you have to go out to them and tell them as sincerely as you can muster how you just couldn't do it if you saw them and how inspirational they are. To oh my God. Like, no, this is an easy one. I thought you were going to say if I had to go up to them and tell them to watch Gregory go boom. <laughs> Um, this is an easy one. I I couldn't do it. There's no way I I would get ulcers from. You'd be you'd be so guilty. Oh my god! To be like, It'd be the worst thing ever. You're so inspirational. P.S. I used to be one of you. <laughs> I would feel more comfortable like going up to them and just backhanding them across the face. Just imagine, like I'm eating dinner. I'm enjoying my meal as an able-bodied person. I'm having oysters. I don't even need a bib. And then some really rolls in. And I have to get up. I have to look at him and go, sorry, guys, I'll be right back. <laughs> and they're like, what are you doing? I just have to go tell him how inspirational he is. Yeah, you have to and bend like, down at 90 you degrees. You used to be disabled. You know how rude that is. I, yeah. I know. But yeah. I have to do it. Hold on. Let's talk about the posture you have to take, too. You have to bend down at 90 degrees. You walk over. Well, like the waitress is like, come to your table. And he's trying to, like, manage his way through all the tables. And you stop him in the middle of the aisle. Everyone's trying to get by. Yeah. And you stop him. And you don't bend down with your knees. You bend down with your back. Yeah, exactly. Because that's way more condescending. Exactly. Your knees are locked. Yeah, bending down to your knees is actually kind of polite. Yeah. Because you're like, oh, you're putting work in to get my level. Yeah, you're but at, when you you're bend at down with your back, you're just like, are you trying to get closer or you just have a fart? Yeah, oh yeah, you're hovering over like a fucking shitstorm cloud. Yeah. Yeah. So you bend over, but you don't bend over to eye level, you still bend over and you're above eye level. Yeah. Because that's what people do, like the worst people, they'll yeah. bend over, they'll bend down. And they could just bend down another inch and a half, but they don't. They still want to be above you. Right. So you bend down, you put your hand on their shoulder. And the whole time, I'm like, I'm so sorry. In my head, I'm like, I'm so sorry I have to do this to you. Yeah. But this is the only way I could not be you. Oh, And then God. you just go, hey, really inspirational. <laughs> the thing is, too, you have to be right. In their personal space, like you could almost touch their forehead with yours. Oh well, you're already touching their shoulder. Yeah, and they, and they they can smell your oyster breath. Yeah, you you you're like I'm sorry about the mignonettes. You're very you're very inspirational. Yeah, you see the soul leave their body, and that soul is what powers you to be able-bodied another day. Yeah, but it doesn't stop you from talking. It like it like invigors you. No, because it it's your you. lifeblood now. Uh-huh. You survive sucking the soul out of disabled people by telling them how inspirational they are. But then but it doesn't stop at that. After you finish congratulate them congratulating them for existing, you like or you like brush the dandruff off their shoulder or you like adjust their collar. And then you you stand up, you stretch your back because you've been bending over for a while <laughs> and it's uncomfortable and you don't like being uncomfortable. 
and then you pat them on the head and you walk away. Oh man! Oh, like some t- one time you uh, you take a Kleenex and you like wipe the snot away from their nose, and then you just drop the Kleenex in the lap. <laughs> <laughs> like a mic drop. Yeah, like here. <laughs> I made this for you. Yeah. Enjoy this. Great wheel breaker, but absolutely no chance. Yeah. You have another one? I do. Should we do two? We haven't done them in a while. Yeah, yeah, do two, do two. Okay. You've seen Ace Ventura. I have. I'm looking at Ace Ventura right now. Thank you. That's a <laughs> very very high compliment. <laughs> so you know how in the first one. He often bends over and speaks from his rear. From his butthole? Yeah. Oh, my friends, my good friends who I respect, um, have repeatedly asked me why we talk about your butthole so much. Right. No, but they asked me, like, in a sense, like, are you not, are you sure you're not making him uncomfortable? Like, I honestly have to skip the parts where you're talking about Tony's butthole. And I'm like, why? It's funny. Because they think that you, you're making me uncomfortable. I guess so. Or they think I, we're being... I don't know what it is about me, honestly, but I have no problem talking about my butthole. Neither you do have I. To, I... You have to be aware. <laughs> Whoever's listening and feeling uncomfortable right now, yeah. I'm talking directly to you. Yeah. You have to be aware. Every single morning, I wake up and some stranger is staring straight down my butthole. Yeah. And so... I've just learned it's not like a secret part of my body that I hide. It's just an unfortunate byproduct of my life that someone out there every day has to stare right inside. And your butthole has more pu- more of a public life than your than other parts of your bot. Like than I your should chest. start an Instagram called <laughs> my butthole. And it's just like daily updates. <laughs> pre-trim, well, post-trim, pre-white, post-white. I can't even. Pre-white, pre-white. Oh God, Tony, yeah, that's <laughs> that's the line right there. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay. I just made myself uncomfortable. So. There is a line. <laughs> we should stress, like, I'm not judging my friends for raising that point because. That is funny because I enjoy those conversations. I think I've just desensitized you. Well, I, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, but I also know the struggle. Yeah, well, you don't really. Okay, okay, fair enough. I my mom, do. my mom made a funny remark uh, this weekend. Would you like to hear? Yeah. She was like, she's like, Jamie, one day I'm just gonna have her on, like as a guest. Yeah, she she would she would like that. She actually asked me the other day uh, on Thursday. She was like concerned because I guess I wasn't hanging out with you enough on Discord. And she was like, oh, I haven't heard you talk to Tony recently. And I was like, oh, he's going out to a cottage. So he's busy like getting ready for that. And she's like, oh, that's great. I love when Tony does things. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, what? (laughs) That's so nice of her. I think honestly, it was like it was like a com- compared to my son kind of moment. <laughs> yeah, but um, that's that's beautiful. What was the other thing? Okay, so my mom had the flu. Maybe this is too much information. Like I should be talking about this to my mom, but she had a forty-eight hour flu, which my sister also had. And my mom said to me, she was like, "You know what, Jamie? It's a really good thing that you didn't get this 
Because I don't think you would have been able to manage the frequent trips to the bathroom. Yeah. And I was like, excuse me? And then I like almost wanted to get it just to prove to her that I could fucking withstand. Look, mom, I can diarrhea. <laughs> it's really cool of you. Yeah, oh God. It's like Anthony's out at the cottage. Jamie's wiping, no problem. Yeah, Jamie's self-sufficient. <laughs> so, speaking of buttholes, <laughs> you got to be able-bodied, fully able-bodied. Okay, okay. But, pull. Oh. <laughs> 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 You're so proud of that one. But whenever you talk to someone moving forward, you bend over, you turn around, spread the cheeks and make them flop. Oh, no. Of course I wouldn't. That's so embarrassing. Only Jim Carrey could get away with that. You don't think you could just make that your thing? No, no one else could do that. No one. Think of all of your friends. Not a single one could pull that off. The thing is, it would be funny like once in a while. Oh, Jamie's coming over. Oh, is he the one that talks with his butt? <laughs> no, no. And like eventually, <laughs> it, they would just be like, okay, yeah, yeah, hilarious. You can sit down now. And you're like, no, I actually can't. I don't think anyone could get away with it. There's not a soul. The funny thing is, was like in, in the suggestion from the fan, it said, your mouth now is only for eating. So it's so funny to me picturing you at like a restaurant eating food and someone's like, how is it? And you get up, turn around, bend over and go, pretty good. And then sit back down. You don't even like, it's not even for an extended bit. It's just for like. Yeah. It's just like, carry on. This is how I talk now. Yeah. Yeah. Like you got to talk through your butthole at the water cooler. People are going to like stop talking to you. Unless they really need something. They'll be like, should we ask Jamie? Be like, I think we can figure this one out. <laughs> yeah, it's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> you have to like go, like get your ID renewed at like some government building. And yeah. you're like. <laughs> they just like, they start keeping a list of things they want to ask you. And then they just ask you all at once. <laughs> they don't have those separate conversations. Just the idea of you having to like get up. <laughs> Like, you're in a movie theater, and, like, you're watching the trailers that come on before the movie, and you're just, like, in a world, blah, 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 and then, like, the, and then you get up in the middle of the movie theater, turn around, and goes, and you just bend over, grab your butt, and go, looks okay. And then <laughs> back down. <laughs> just the idea of, like, a little tiny, like, something that you don't have to say. But this is so normal to you. This yeah. is how you talk. Yeah. You just get up. Oh, <laughs> the man. worst would be... Like at a drive through The worst would be at a funeral. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry for your loss. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what if you accidentally fart while you're talking? <laughs> Are you sure you wouldn't take this deal? <laughs> it's pretty funny. <laughs> like, you could never get a haircut again. If you... Okay, how about this? How about I force you to take the deal? How long do you think you last? Oh, God. I would get fired from every job. I would be rejected. Okay, that's a good question. What job could you get? Comedian? You would do stand-up maybe, yeah. Yeah. And this is just your thing. You just do like <laughs> back alley clubs for the rest of your life. You would be like, you know, one of those 
comedians who is like method acting in their character, like Sasha Cohen or yeah, um, I don't know, Bob Bobcat Goldthwait or but people would people would see you once and they'd be like, okay, yeah, he's maybe you. I don't know, maybe you'd be like a novel thing. <laughs> people would describe me as the Jeff Dunham of buttholes. Yeah, it really does feel like Jeff Dunham kind of thing. Jalapeno on a poop. So how <laughs> how long do you think? <laughs> Should we end it there? <laughs> I, I think I would last a week. A week? Yep. Oh, you'd have to say I love you through your butthole. <laughs> <laughs> it is those little moments that are so funny to me, like like the transactional ones. Yeah. Where it's like because you can't even ham it up. Like you <laughs> you go through the drive through and they're like you know, do you want fries with that? And you have to take your seatbelt back off because <laughs> you thought the conversation was over. Yeah, yeah. Get, get up license. on the seat, bend over. <laughs> no thanks. That's <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> so stupid. Oh my god. <laughs> that was a good one. All right. Well, I'm glad we did a wheel breakers because before that, I was hating this. <laughs> really the whole episode no just i hated this movie and i didn't really i want to contact michael sarah on twitter and ask him for an interview and then do like a gotcha interview what were you thinking michael sarah <laughs> <laughs> imagine we got michael sarah on the podcast yeah. and then he comes on and we just talk shit to him <laughs> yeah the whole time yeah that skit or that short film was super bad <laughs> okay Let's end it there. Sounds good. Bye, everyone. I should. We should learn how to say goodbye in like different languages. We need some way to sign off on that. Auf Wiedersehen. Ciao. <laughs> you leaned in for that one. <laughs>